President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. <laughs> Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, you will hear Edward Arnold as Mr. President. But first, rarely before in the history of our country has the office of the presidency been of such vital importance as it is today. As you know, the Constitution is very specific about the powers and duties of the president, making him somewhat subject to the will of Congress in domestic matters, but almost entirely on his own in our dealings with other nations. Our foreign relations are vital to every one of us, and the president is our personal representative in such matters. Into this important picture enter the Mr. President stories, telling in warm, human terms of the adventures, the troubles, and the joys of the men who have held the nation's highest office. You, our listeners, have the added thrill of testing your historical knowledge when you try to identify the president of each story. Test your knowledge now by listening to the Mr. President story which follows. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, come in. Sit down, won't you? You know, the incidents I have in mind make quite a story. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess... It was my practice to take long, rambling hikes through the Virginia countryside, accompanied by such hardy souls as cared for that kind of exercise. There was quite a bit of climbing involved, especially when we scrambled down to the chain bridge on our way to Washington. Among my constant companions were Dr. Rixey, Surgeon General of the Navy, and a young Captain Leonard of the Marine Corps. One afternoon, as we half-climbed, half-slid down a particular cliff... Well, Mr. President, this is a merry chase you're leading us. Not much footing up here. Well, any time is too rough for you. Don't hesitate to say so, Captain. Not at all, sir. I can take it. Now, sometimes I wish you'd be more careful, Mr. President. Me? There's nothing going to happen to me. Well, you're very sure, sir. Meaning I tempt fates? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, don't you worry, Doctor. I've had my head in the lion's mouth too many times to worry about fate. <laughs> <laughs> careful, there. Careful. Yeah. This rock is always slippery. That does it. Not too bad. There, made it. Good for you, Captain. <laughs> Colonel Will is rather a bug on physical fitness in the Corps. I wonder how he'd enjoy a hike like this. Colonel Wheeler, your commanding officer? Yes, sir. Chief of my bureau at the Navy Department. Do you think he'd keep up with this, Captain? Well, sir, it's not for me to say. Well, he might, but his figure would drop behind. <laughs> oh, I see. A desk officer. He was at Guantanamo with us, Mr. President, but since then... I understand. Uh, doctor, do you know the good Colonel? Well, wonderful war record, Mr. President. And since? Well, you might say that the sedentary life has caught up with him. Mm -hmm. Well, how about the other officers? 
The Marine Corps? And Navy and the Army. Well, I'm not particularly familiar with the Army, Mr. President. Oh, I don't expect you to be, but the Navy is your job. Well, if you're pressing Oh, me... you know I am. Speak up, man. This is off the record as far as you're concerned. Well, then I'll say frankly, Mr. President, that what has been said about Colonel Wheeler applies also to officers of similar rank in the Navy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I bet the Army isn't far behind. Well, <laughs> you know, I begin to think, Doctor, that this might take a little investigation and a regulation or two. Huh? After all, I'm Commander-in-Chief, and I'd rather not be Commander-in-Chief of a group of short-winded, large-waisted gentlemen who can't go where their men might have to go, but, well... Come on, let's get back to the others and start home. It's getting late. Edith, it's absolutely incredible. All right. (laughs) I'll ask the question, dear. What is incredible? Well, answer this one first. What would you expect of officers in the United States Army? I? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'd expect them to keep up with all modern improvements. Yes, yes, go on. And uh, I'd expect them to be ready to handle any possible emergency for which the Army might be necessary. Anything else? Well, I suppose in order to do that, they ought to be bright, intelligent... And and... in good physical condition. Of course. I took that for granted. Oh, don't take it for granted any longer, Edith. Because it just isn't so. Neither did I until I saw for myself. And I'm home early because I just didn't want to see any more. Are you sure you're not exaggerating, dear? Well, ask General Wood and old Ding Dong Bell. They were there with me. And the Navy and Marines are almost as bad. Anyway, Rixie tells me they aren't. Well, one service at a time, dear. What did you see today? I saw a cavalry colonel who was unable to keep his horse at a smart trot for even half a mile. Ten years my junior. And he couldn't keep up with me. Oh, for goodness sake. Mm, and there was a major general whom I wouldn't embarrass by naming, who was scared to let his horse canter with us, and as for walking. Edith, I'm sure the next War Department budget is going to contain an item for wheelchairs and salaries for the enlisted men to push them around. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Dr. Rixey. Fit as a fiddle, as always? On a brisk winter morning like this, of course. You look fit yourself. Oh, I am, I am. I try to stay that way, as you know darn well. I wish I could say the same for certain other men in Washington, and it's in violence. Well, you're still after my naval charges, Mr. President. Uh, you bet I am. <laughs> and after what I saw yesterday, Doctor, I'm after the Army, too. Rixie, it's incredible. I told Edith last night, well, but, uh, well, never mind that now. Something's got to be done about this, and at once. Well, a nice, short, clean war. No, 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 nothing as drastic as that. But I think we might initiate an idea or two which my successor will continue once the 4th of March is here and gone. Compulsory setting up exercises, perhaps? Frankly, I don't care how they get back into condition. They can carry 40-pound packs and rifles for all I care, just as long as they are physically fit and stay that way. Now, you're not overemphasizing a casual remark made on one of our hikes, are you? Not after what I've seen. Hikes. (laughs) Yes, that's it. Hikes. Just what do you have in mind, Mr. President? Well, I think it might be an idea if each officer found it necessary to take a walk once in a while. Walking is fine exercise out of doors and when the distance is sufficiently great. Mm-hmm. Well, how about riding? Horseback? Horse, Doctor. Oh, no. No, of course. Well, it does wonders for me. And me, Doctor. No, no, I have an idea. Let's set a distance in the time limit for walking and riding. Well, how far? Oh, say 50 miles of walking and 100 on horseback. 
Not too difficult, I'd say, within a reasonable time. Well, I do myself in one day. Well, you're in good shape, sir. Yes, of course. But these other fellows, how long would you give them, Doctor? Well, about three days. What? A hundred miles on horseback in three days isn't a bad ride. Oh, it sounds very mild to me. Oh, to you, yes. All right, three days. Walk 50 or ride 100. How do you expect to get these men to do this? Well, I've got that one all figured out, Doctor. <laughs> I'm issue, issuing an executive order to the commissioned officers of the armed forces. Those who want to avoid it will find a way. Oh, oh <laughs> will they, though? Will they? I've got that covered, too. Each year, beginning with the issuance of this order, each officer will have to present a certificate to the effect that he has walked 50 miles or ridden 100 within three days. Or his commission will lapse and he will be placed on the retired list at once. Is it, dear? <laughs> well, you know, dear, I don't mind your reading the paper at the breakfast table, knowing how busy you are. <laughs> yes, dear, no, thank you for your patience. <laughs> but there is nothing I hate more than to hear someone chuckle the way you do and not know what's so funny. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, Edith. It's, it's this cartoon in the Herald. It shows me riding herd in a cowboy outfit on a collection of army officers. <laughs> See there? <laughs> This funny. Oh, but why does this man always draw you with such large spectacles? <laughs> my hat and my mustache and my spectacles are the cartoonist's delight. Hmm. <laughs> Did you see the editorial that goes with the cartoon? Uh, yes, I saw it. I haven't read it yet. What's in it? The President again. Once again, our chief executive is proving himself a petty and capricious tyrant. We can hope only that with the advent of the President's successor... This nonsense will stop. Oh, well, this only goes to prove these desk officers have their friends. The field officers aren't complaining. Of course not. In any case, Bill will be, uh, will be taking over soon. <laughs> no, what's the joke, dear? <laughs> I'm thinking of Bill and his figure. <laughs> Perhaps I'll have included the commander-in-chief in my order. <laughs> Bill walking 50 miles. <laughs> and Bill on a horse. <laughs> Oh, no, Edith. Oh, for heaven's sake, no. Mr. President, I'm here, I'm afraid, on somewhat, well, how shall I say it? Uh, frankly, Mr. President, there's been quite a bit of rebellion in the armed forces these days. Rebellion? Not mutiny, Congressman? I'm sure I would have heard of mutiny. I was using the word advisedly. Oh, go on. It is my privilege, Mr. President, to have the friendship of certain officers. And uh, there's a protest going on of which my friends have made me aware. Oh, I begin to understand, Congressman. These gentlemen feel you have acted quite capriciously. Congressman, I am not capricious. Let us understand that. These officers have not used the word, sir. That is the word being applied in Congress. By whom beside yourself? By enough members of the House to block any legislation you may wish to have passed. Are you threatening me? Nothing as drastic as a threat, Mr. President. But we do feel strongly that this order should be revoked. Because your friends in the War and Navy Departments are too old or too lazy to keep themselves in fighting trim? 
Mr. President, you can't expect these I men can't to... expect officers to keep themselves in condition to face any emergency. I can't expect them to be examples to the enlisted men. And I can expect them to obey orders as well as give them. This whim of yours... Whim, is it? Well, call it a test. It's outrageous. Overstrenuous. What? Why is this test uh, something any healthy woman would take and pass it, sir? I don't believe that to be demonstrable, sir. Oh, you don't? Well, sir, I'm 50 years old in a few months today. I will demonstrate this to you personally by riding the hundred miles required. Not in three days, but in one day, sir. And then let your lame duck Congress protest all it wishes. As long as I am in the White House, the Army and the Navy and the Marines will be in fighting trim at all times. And if my test weeds out the unfit officers, let them fall where they may. Good day, Mr. Congressman. Good day. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Do you know that smash-ups on American highways occur at the rate of more than one a minute all day, every day in the year? That's a fantastic figure, but it's true, and traffic on our highways is ever-increasing. It is now 11% above the pre-war peak. Just another reason why accident prevention education is becoming more and more important. The difficulty is that people continue to think of accidents as always befalling someone else. It simply does not occur to us that we may be killed. Yet, before... It is the careless little chances each of us take every day that cause the big accident totals. We can prevent accidents only if each individual guards against that one accident that may take his own life. These are the major causes of traffic casualties. Speed, drink, and carelessness. So help cut down accidents on your streets and highways. Be careful. Remember, the life you save may be your own. And now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've guessed by now who the president was in this story. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which one it was. Well, Congressman Randolph left my office that day in quite a huff, and I sent invitations to Surgeon General Rixey and my aide, Captain Archie Bott, to join me on the hundred-mile ride I proposed to take in one day. Both those men were close to my own age and in excellent physical condition. I planned our route south of Washington through Fairfax, past Bull Run, to Buckland, and on to Warrenton, Virginia. The distance was about 50 miles. In Warrenton, we would have some lunch and then start back to Washington by the same roads. Fresh horses were to be ready at the various places we would stop. Then two days before the date set, I overheard my wife and Surgeon General Rixey in serious conversation. You know how stubborn he is. But I still don't like the whole idea, ma'am. Rixey, you sound worried. Oh, we didn't see you there, dear. Dr. Rixey is quite worried and with reason. That's right, Mr. President. What's the trouble? Well, principally you, dear. Well, what have I done now? It's not what you have done, sir. It's what you plan to do. You mean our little ride? It's our little ride. Dr. Rixey doesn't like the idea at all. Oh, I look like a weakling, do I? Well, it's not your health. It's the possibility of an accident, Mr. Oh, President. I see. Tempting the fates again. Huh? Just that. Mm-hmm. You're placing a great responsibility on me, sir. It'll be cold and dark when we start, and Suppose I... the horse stumbles in a mud hole. Oh, the roads will be frozen hard as a rocky diff. There's no mud in January. Well, then ice. Suppose the horse slips and you're hurt. Dr. Rixey will be blamed for carelessness. After all, he is your personal physician. I here will solemnly absolve you of all blame for any accident which may befall me, Rixey. 
And if you want it in writing, you shall have it in writing, Lucy. It seems rather, well, unnecessary, Mr. President, to go to all this trouble just to prove something to a few recalcitrant congressmen. Frankly, Rixie, I don't care one way or another about those congressmen. But I do care about the condition of the armed forces. If this right of ours will set an example, if it will dramatize the need for bodily vigor, it will have served its purpose. Mr. President, I surrender. Now, don't worry, Edith. We'll be in Warrington for lunch and home for dinner. That's the schedule, and we'll keep to it. Unless something unforeseen happens. There'll be nothing unforeseen. Goodbye, my dear. And get back in bed before you freeze to death. It's it's not yet four o'clock in the morning. Go on. Climb on your horse. I'm not going inside until you're on your way. All right. Have it your own way. Oh, there. Oh, oh, easy, boy. There we go. None too soon for me. Doggone cold standing here. I don't know how Archie feels. That's underestimated. Well, then, as we used to say in the cavalry, troopers, ho! Goodbye, Edith. I'll see you tonight. Don't worry, man. We'll bring you back safely. Bye. Well, over that way, Archie, is Bull Run. Yes, sir. And that way, Warrenton and lunch. Uh, hungry already? Well, I must admit, I could eat. <laughs> Rixie? Nothing like a brisk winter morning and 25 miles on horseback to build an appetite. <laughs> and use muscles you don't use sitting in a desk. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I can see some sore and aching colonels, not to mention generals, these next few months. <laughs> Shall we mount, gentlemen, or should I say with Navy men, Shall we go aboard? <laughs> Why not, sir? <laughs> well, this is one time we go aboard without saluting the quarterdeck. Now, where where would we find the quarterdeck of a horse? <laughs> Somewhere astern, I should think, Mr. President. <laughs> well, let's get on with it, gentlemen. Buckland is the next stop, and then Warrenton, eh? And as you said, Mr. President, Rovers home. we're getting into. We're in Warrington, it seems, sir. Unless I miss my guess, the major portion of the population is waiting for us at the end. Well, I asked mine host to keep our visit quiet. But unless I miss my guess, our friends of the press and of the Secret Service tip the people off with their advanced preparation. Well, as usual, Doctor, as usual. Well, frankly, I don't care how warm a welcome we get as long as the food is hot. Oh, I expect it will be. I'll welcome it myself. Well, Warrington it is. All right, on schedule. We're doing very well, I think, gentlemen. Uh, we've been lucky. Archie's horse had me worried back there at Bull Run. Oh, he's just a little high-spirited. He'll be fine on the way back. If we're as fine, I'll be satisfied. Well, the first 50 miles are always the hardest. Shall we dismount, gentlemen? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Mr. President, Dr. Rixley, Captain Bott, may I introduce myself? I'm Mayor Glass of Warrington. How do you do, sir? How do you do, How do you sir? You must be somewhat tired and certainly hungry, gentlemen. But it isn't very often that a president comes to Warrington. And we could not permit this occasion to go by without an official welcome. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. May I say your people have been and are most kind? Our brand of Virginia hospitality, Mr. President. We are greatly honored by your visit. And all our people appreciate both the purpose of your ride and your own heart. Now, this we didn't count on, Rixie. Not exactly, Mr. President. I thought the ride back would be as easy as the ride out, especially after all that Virginia hospitality in Warrenton. Archie, are you all right back there? All right, I hope, sir. What's the trouble, Captain? Well, both the horse and I are traveling by ear. 
Neither one of us can see a thing. Uh, Archie, you want us to stop a while? Uh, no, sir. Probably freeze to death if we stop now. Uh, Mr. President. Yes, Archie. What did you tell that congressman about your test? That any healthy woman could pass it. <laughs> Mr. President, did you have a sleet storm in January in mind when you made that statement? Well, I'll confess, Doctor, that's one thing I didn't think of. But come on, we'll soon have some fresh horses and then the last lap into Washington. Come on! <laughs> Come in and shut the door. <laughs> we are letting the storm invade government property. <laughs> Edith, my dear, are you all right? You weren't too worried? Oh, I didn't worry for a moment. And for heaven's sake, shut the door. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. Now, now get those wet things off. <laughs> you see how she orders the president about, Doctor? Yes, my dear. And I'm glad to see you here, Captain Leonard. Glad to see you, sir. Dr. Rixey, oh. Captain Bart. Captain? Captain? Are you worried about us too, Captain? Your wife asked me to come over. I found the fire upstairs most comfortable. And so will we. Rixey, Archie, shall we go upstairs? Oh, by all means. Aye, sir. Uh, Dr. Rixey. Oh, yes, ma'am? Is he really all right? Oh, sound as a bell to all appearances, ma'am. I wish Captain Bart and I had stood it as well. <laughs> I feel as if I needed to put myself to bed for a week, ma'am. Well, that's where he's going to stay tomorrow. You may depend on that. <laughs> oh. And on what may I depend, Edith? On your spending tomorrow in bed. Oh, no, no, you don't. We didn't take this ride so Congress could say I told you so. Confidentially, my dear, Dr. Rixey and Captain Bott don't know it yet, but we're going for a hike in Virginia tomorrow morning. Oh, huh? no, my dear. Yes, yes, just to get the kinks out of our muscles, my dear. And to make the eyes of certain congressmen pop out a little farther. How about it, Rixey? Are you game? Will you join me for a walk tomorrow? I suppose so. (laughs) Well, Doctor, Captain Leonard. Good morning, sir. What brings you two to the White House today? That little ride we took a month ago, Mr. President. You mean that jaunt to Warren? (laughs) Well, it stopped the protest, though, didn't it? What's up? Captain Leonard told me a story, sir. I thought you ought to hear it. Mm, Well, Captain? I must confess, sir, I tried to dissuade Dr. Rixey from bringing me here. Mm, Weary of your old walking companion, Captain? (laughs) Only a month more and I'll be out of your hair, my boy. I'll miss you, sir. We all will. Thank you, Captain. It's no more than the truth, sir. Well, this is not exactly the kind of thing an officer feels he ought to do. I insist, Captain. And the doctor is a naval officer, Captain. I think you can trust his judgment. Well, sir, after your famous ride, there weren't any further open protests from the officer corps, sir. I take it you're using the word open advisedly. I'm afraid I am, sir. There has been and still is, sir, plenty of undercover complaining. <laughs> well, as long as they obey my order, Captain, let them complain. The ancient American right of free speech, you know. Yes, sir, of course. Except that now there seems to be a new type of pressure being exerted. Oh? You won't believe this any more than I did, Mr. President. Well, let's have it, Captain. Let's have it. Well, sir, shortly after your demonstration, two Marine lieutenants and I decided to take our tests together and get them over with for this year. We set out quite early one morning with pedometers in our pockets. We had a wonderful time. We we walked the 50 miles required in one day, sir. Not in the three you ordered. Oh, splendid. I told you it was easy, Doctor. Now, wait. You haven't heard the rest. What else? We've been ordered, sir, by certain officials of the Navy Department to do the whole thing over again. What? For heaven's sake, why? The test wasn't correct according to the letter of your order, sir. 
We did it in one day. You ordered it done in three days, sir. Well, well, such behavior makes the whole idea ridiculous, Captain. Yes, sir. Well, that seems to be the idea, Mr. President. You know, I've seen officers walking from their desks to their homes with pedometers hanging around their necks. Oh, gentlemen, I want the names of the bureaucrats who started this nonsense. There'll be short work made of them. As long as I'm president, I'm sure as long as my successor is in the White House, the armed forces will stay in top condition. And that goes for everyone, from privates and seamen to the top brass. (laughs) But it is funny, you know. It's very funny. I wonder when Congress will conceive the idea of paying our officers by the mile. (laughs) Well, will you come upstairs a moment? We've got to tell my wife Edith about this. She'll enjoy it as much as I have. But heaven help the men who ordered you to take the test over again, Captain. Heaven help them when I catch up with them. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. To an inveterate playgoer, there is no greater thrill than that moment when the curtain goes up on a new play. And that same feeling of excitement and drama has been carried over into ABC's program, Theater Guild on the Air. Each drama presented on Theater Guild has been chosen with care from the long and varied list of Broadway plays. After the play has been selected, a writer adapts it for the medium of radio. Then the play is cast with top-flight Hollywood and Broadway actors. Then comes the weeks of rehearsal under expert guidance until all the component parts that go into each broadcast of Theater Guild on the Air are ready. The music, sound effects, and the acting. So don't miss this dramatic listening treat, Theater Guild on the Air, when it's heard over most of these ABC stations every Sunday night. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. I'm sure you guessed by now that the president who took that hundred-mile horseback ride through sleet and the winter wind was the rough rider himself, Theodore Roosevelt. It's interesting to note in passing that the test he began has developed over the years into a tradition of regular physical examinations resulting in a group of tough, conditioned officers of which the nation can be proud. President Roosevelt's philosophy of a healthy body to sustain and be sustained by a vigorous soul rewarded him and might be something all of us could profit by. And, oh, yes, his successor, about whom we chuckled a little while ago at breakfast with Mrs. Roosevelt, was, of course, William Howard Taft. Now, we might take a moment or two to salute that wonderful organization of which Captain Leonard was a part. The United States Marines, they are 173 years young this week. Happy birthday, men. Your tradition from the Bahamas in 1775 to Iwo Jima and Okinawa will always be one of the proudest parts of American history. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you then that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye.
Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture The Three Musketeers, starring Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the life of President Theodore Roosevelt. Music was composed by Basil Adler. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.